The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome. We are glad that you are here. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris, and we are in week five of At The Movies, where we use uh, current or popular movies as a hook uh, to talk about spiritual truth. How many of you have seen uh, this movie, Toy Story 4? Or how many of you have seen any of the Toy Story movies? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Well, we actually took uh, 280 people uh, to see it this past Wednesday morning uh, at Citadel Mall Theater. By the way, we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing that again for the new Lion King movie uh, on Wednesday morning, July 24th at 10 o'clock. Theaters will be open uh, at 9:30. Uh, we're going to be taking anybody who wants to go uh, to see it and their friends on us at Citadel Mall Theater. It's our way of just uh, reaching out to you and our community. Uh, this is the 10th anniversary of At The Movies here at Coastal. And uh, it's also, uh, this, this year our VBS theme, of course, is Roar. And so we really wanted to make sure uh, that we did the same thing for the new Lion King movie. Now, uh, for Toy Story 4 this past week, they gave us three theaters. Uh, for Lion King, they're giving us a minimum of five. So um, invite and bring friends. We're going to have a lot of fun. If you can uh, take off work or if you're home, invite and bring some folks. Now, back to Toy Story. Oh, by the way, on the back of your Connect card today, you can actually go ahead and let us know that you'd like to reserve a seat uh, for the movie uh, Lion King there on the back of your Connect card. Now, Back to Toy Story 4. It really was a great movie. Uh, it's, it's gotten high praise from audiences and critics alike. Uh, now, being the fourth, the fourth installment of this series, there is no doubt that it is a Disney money grab, okay? That's just the reality uh, anytime there's a fourth installment. Uh, but it is an excellent, uh, well-written money grab. It's a great movie. Uh, take your, your family to go see it. Now, there's a lot of different directions that we could go in uh, using this movie today. Uh, I could talk about friendship, and that's always been a big theme in the Toy Story uh, movies. We could talk about discovering your purpose. You see that loud and clear in this film. But without giving too much of the movie away, with not any big spoiler alerts, um, think about this for a moment. So there is a new toy in this movie, creatively named Forky, okay, uh, Forky constantly wants to leave home and live in the trash and uh, eventually does exactly that. Woody is, of course, able to help Forky come to his senses and finally understand his purpose and how much uh, Bonnie, his owner, uh, really, really loves him and needs him. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds just a little bit like uh, a story that Jesus told one time called The Prodigal Son. And so today, uh, I want you to look with me at one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible. In fact, it really is one of those uh, foundational uh, core passages of Scripture for our church. In fact, I really believe that you know, we ought to come back to this passage uh, you know, year after year after year. In fact, many, in many ways we do. Uh, but it's called the story of the prodigal son, and it's found in the New Testament in Luke chapter 15. And it really is one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever heard the name or the story of the prodigal son before? Raise your hand for that one. 
Hopefully a few more than Toy Story, okay? I think so. Now, so here's another question for you, though. What does it mean to be a prodigal? Now, some of you might respond by saying, well, Pastor Chris, a prodigal is somebody who's really, really smart at a really, really young age. No. That's a prodigy, not a prodigal, so obviously you're not one, okay? If that's what you were thinking today. So on your outline, write this down. A prodigal is somebody with great potential who throws it all away and wanders from home. Somebody with great potential who throws it all away and wanders from home. Sounds a little bit like our friend Forky, okay? So listen to the story from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11 as I read it. To illustrate the point further... Jesus told them this story. Now, stop right there for a second. So really, the question begs to be answered, what point was Jesus making? I mean, it says here to illustrate the point further. So what point? Well, at this time in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry, uh, he is simply being Jesus, okay? He is doing what Jesus does best. In fact, he is doing what he came to do. He's living out his purpose. He is hanging out with people who felt like they were on the outside, okay, looking in. The outcast of his day. You know, the sinners of his day. People who would be considered far from God. People who most likely never darkened the door of the temple. And in modern day language, they would never darken the door of a church. And he was, he was loving them. He was hanging out with them. He's teaching them. He's even eating with them. Now, the problem though, is that that lifestyle, what Jesus was doing and who he was doing it with, was, was ticking off the religious leaders of the day, okay? They're angry at Jesus. They're upset that here's this man making these bold claims and doing these miraculous things, and yet he's hanging out with people that they would have nothing to do with. Well, basically at this point, it's as though Jesus has had it up to here, and he kind of just shouts out, hey, enough, enough. And, and for like the first and only time in his entire teaching ministry, Jesus tells these three stories, actually, three in, in, in rapid fire, back-to-back-to-back succession, to once and for all kind of clear up the confusion about why he came, his purpose, and, and to explain the heart of God. Now, the first story and I'm not going to read it, but you, you're probably familiar with it. It's the story of the lost sheep. Uh, in fact, we sang a song about it uh, just a little while ago. Remember, if you had 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, you know, wouldn't you leave the 99 and do whatever it took, go on an all-out search for the one, the lost one, until you found it? And then when you find it, he says in the story, man, you're going to throw a huge party. Okay, so the lost sheep. Then there's the story. The second one is about this lost coin. There's this woman who's got these 10 uh, valuable coins, and she loses one of them. So she tears the house upside down. Uh, some translations say she looked in every nook and cranny uh, until she finds it. And then when she finds it, she calls all of her friends over, and they have a big party. So they celebrate. And then, to illustrate his point even further, Jesus tells this story. Listen to this. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, instead of waiting until you die. 
So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land and there wasted all his money on what? What's it say? Wild living. So basically, Forky. I mean, the son takes off for the trash. I mean, Las Vegas and, and loses all of his money. Okay, that's what happens. All of his friends, and he hits what we might call today rock bottom. Ever been there? He eventually comes to his senses, and he decides to go home. Now, when the father sees him returning, the Bible says he ran to him, hugged him, called all his servants, and says, we must celebrate with a feast For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now, to really understand this story, though, it's it's very crucial to know some things about their culture back then. Okay? Let Let me share with you a few things that a Middle Eastern dad in that day would absolutely never do, okay? First of all, a Middle Eastern dad would never divide up the, the, his estate early and give it to one of his kids, especially the younger one. I mean, never, ever, ever under any circumstances would that happen. Now, fast forward to 2019. In our day, people do whatever they want to with their money, Right? I mean, a father, parents, they might take their money and give it to their kids or grandkids while they're still alive. You know, dad might take a large chunk and donate it to Cherry. Mom and dad might blow it all on themselves. Now, there isn't a lot of cultural etiquette today when it comes to how parents handle their estate. It really is whatever you feel like doing. But in that day, okay, A Middle Eastern dad would basically follow a thousand-year tradition of holding on to all of the land, all of the cattle, all of the belongings that he and his family from previous generations had acquired over a lifetime, generations and generations. And basically, now he's going to hang on to that stuff until his deathbed. And then just before he died, there would be this gathering of the family and this kind of ceremonial transfer to the oldest son first, and then a little bit to the rest of the members of the family. Now, that right there is exactly the way it had been done in that culture for years, for generations. But in this famous story that Jesus tells, the son arrogantly comes to his father and says, hey, I want what's coming to me when you die, and I want it right now. In effect, he was saying to the dad, I want to live as though you were dead, and you got no claim on my life. Now, in some ways, what the, the, the most remarkable part of this story is what happens next. Because Jesus wants us to know that the father in this story is no typical father. And the father in heaven about whom this story is really being told is not your average God. So here's the first major plot twist in the story. Jesus explains 
that the dad agrees to divide his inheritance early and give it to the boy. Now, he, he gives his estate to this rebellious son. And I'm telling you, all of Jesus' listeners to this story, their mouths would have dropped. I mean, there would have been this, <gasps> this big gasp, right? I mean, there, there's no way. He's gonna, and he says he gives it to the, to the boy and basically just watches as the son probably sells off some of the family stuff so he can raise some quick cash, stuff his pockets full of money, and then pack a suitcase and head out for the bright lights of the big city. I mean, that's what's going on here. And at this point in the story, Jesus' listeners must have thought, man, this dad's insane. I mean, a dad would never, ever do something like that. I mean, he would have done maybe, maybe what your dad would have done, right? Just smack you on the back of the head and say, hey, get back to work. You know, go out back to the fields. So, what point is Jesus trying to make? Parents, you can answer this one. Let me ask you, what about those critical moments in raising your kids when one of your kids is so sure that they're right about something? You know, so sure about the fact, that they, about what they want or that, that what they need, so sure that you are brain dead and that they all of a sudden have been endowed with supernatural mental capacities far beyond their years. Now, at those critical intersections, you know, those critical moments, what do you occasionally decide to do for the sake of your child? You let them go. You let them go. Now, did the father in this story know where his son was headed with pockets full of money? Absolutely. Then what in the world motivated you know, the prodigal son dad to do this, to, you know, divide up the inheritance early and then just let, let his son go. Love. It was love. It, it was a kind of fatherly compassion that allowed the son to strike out on his own, to do his own journey, to learn some, his own hard lessons, you know, to come to his own conclusion, even if, even if it meant that the road would be bumpy, even if it caused him pain, even if he crashed and burned. Now, it's important that you get this, that you see and understand the mercy and the grace that's involved in this dad's decision to let the son go. Now, Time out. Let's talk about you and me for a moment. I mean, let's talk about what some of us did in high school that was pure foolishness. And in many cases was self-destructive and hurt others and ourselves. Let's talk about what some of us did in college. Let's talk about what some of us did in our 20s and 30s when we, you know, struck out on our own and waved goodbye to God and our faith and, and headed down the wrong path. Let's talk about what some of us did this past week, this weekend, last night. I mean, let's talk about those moments in our own lives when we've, you know, thumbed our, our noses at God 
and just tell him in our own rebellious way what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And God, you can step aside because we are going our own way. And all the while, he knows. He knows we're heading down the wrong path. He knows we're headed for trouble. I mean, God could smack us on the back of the head and pirate our wills and our thoughts and conform us to his, to his program. He's got the power to do it, and I could build a case that he actually has the right to do it. But what does God in his extraordinary mercy and grace do? He lets us go. But then he always says this, you can come home. You can always come home. In fact, I'm going to be doing everything that I can to draw you back to myself. In fact, I'm going to be looking for you every day. I'm going to be waiting. And if, you, if you've got to go to a faraway place, to a distant land, I'm going to let you go. I love you that much. You see, what a remarkable God we have. Now, before I go on in the story, can I just ask the obvious question, the question that needs to be asked? Have any of you been to a faraway place? Have you spent time in the trash? Have you spent time at a distant land? You know, are, are any of you there right now? And maybe you've had these thoughts recently that, you know, can I go home? You know, you've got thoughts that you, you want to come home. Today might be your day. Well, let's go on with the story. You know how it goes, many of you. The son runs out of money, right? And, and by the way, he runs out of money not because he, you know, gives it to the poor, not because, you know, the housing market crashed or he made some bad investments. No, 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 no. The Bible says that he actually ground through his entire money pile in wild living. In today's language, he flushed it down the toilet, okay? He absolutely blew it. And then, to complicate everything, a famine hits. And so get this, he is out of money. You know, all these friends that liked him when he had money, they're gone. He's out of food. He's out of luck. And for the very first time in his life now, it's gut check time. And so, you know, left to himself, he's got to face reality. He's got to face the truth about himself, about his life to this point, about his future. And now, guess what? There's nobody around to bail him out. And so he thinks to himself, what if? What if I could have a second chance? And finally, the thought comes to him, you know, maybe, maybe I could go back to my dad and you know, I could possibly just talk him into the idea of, of maybe just, you know, giving me a job as, as one of his servants, because they got it better off than I do right now. And, and by the way, he's not even sure if his dad would want to see him again. And, and, and when his dad finds out, you know, that he has squandered everything, okay, all of the money, you know, all of the money, by the way, that the dad in previous generations had spent lifetimes acquiring, then what? I mean, you talk about a long shot. 
And, and the kid knows it, but he's now faced with the alternative is to starve to death. In fact, the Bible says that the only employment that he could find during this time is feeding pigs. And he gets jealous of the pigs and the slop that he's feeding them, and, and he starts eating it. That's rock bottom. That's a low point. Now listen, if you live in the trash long enough, if you're in a distant country long enough, eventually you do hit rock bottom. The son was alone, he's desperate, he has no hope. I've said this many times here at Coastal, people do not change when they see the light. They change when they feel the heat. And sometimes, the loving thing to do is to allow that to happen. So, he turns toward home. He does. He takes that one step, and he turns toward home. And he doesn't know what he's going to find there. He really doesn't. And as he gets closer, he looks off into the distance. And listen, he cannot believe his eyes. I mean, he probably just had to wipe the tears away from his eyes to even, you know, to get a real clear picture of what he sees because his dad is doing something else that a Middle Eastern dad would have never done in that day. Do you know what he's doing? Running. His dad is running. He's running out in public, running out in front of the neighbors, running in full speed toward him. Now, again, today in our culture, we kind of miss all the sensitivity of this because people run, right? Some of you, I don't know what you're chasing, but you run, right? Some, some people run. But not in that day. Not in that culture. I mean, running would have been way, way beneath the dignity of a wealthy, intelligent, Middle Eastern patriarch. Okay, I mean, if something needed like hurried attention, you know, he would definitely send a servant running or a child running. But a long-robed, highly cultured Middle Eastern patriarch would never be caught running in public. And yet, in plain view, here comes the prodigal son's father. I mean, he is in full stride. You can picture, picture it, man. His hair, you know, you know, hair, his hair blowing, you know, his robe. I mean, he's hitched up his robe and sandals are flopping, and his arms, his arms are outstretched. Can you see the picture that Jesus is trying to paint for his listeners of, of this dad? running in full speed, arms outstretched toward his wayward son. His listeners know that normal dads would never run and mouths would be dropped. They're gasping again until hopefully, some of them hopefully are slowly beginning to understand what Jesus is trying to teach them which is the fact that the dad in this story really is no ordinary dad. And the Father in heaven, about whom this story is really being told, is no ordinary father. The Father in heaven, the God of the universe, has his heart so totally wrapped around the heart of even the most wayward child that 
You know, when finally, finally they, they hit rock bottom, they're at that point, and they're tired of living a dead-end life in the trash or in the distant land, and they just turn around and take that one step and head for home. Do you know what he's saying? They can expect to find the father of all fathers in full stride, robe hitched up, arms outstretched, crying, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. You will never know how long I have I've waited for this day. I have been waiting. I have been watching. So much for dignity, so much for etiquette. Who cares about who's laughing and pointing fingers in the neighborhood? He's saying, hey, there's too much at stake here. There's an impending embrace that warrants an all-out dash. Friends, listen, don't ever lose, lose sight of that in your mind. I, it is one of the, the classic images in the entire Bible. If you want to know the heart of God, the perfect, holy, heavenly Father in full stride running toward you and me, running toward wayward sons and wayward daughters, arms open wide, extended to offer mercy, even if, even after they have blown everything. That's why we do what we do. You see, what does this say about the heart of God? Anybody in this room need mercy today? Anybody need grace you see, the kid in this story had gone to feeding pigs. Some of you getting a little tired of feeding whatever it is that you're feeding? I mean, some of you have been feeding at the trough of greed your whole life. Man, aren't you tired? I mean, how many more things? How much more stuff? How many more toys? What's it going to take for you to get off that binge? When is enough enough? Some of you have been feeding lust. Some of you have been feeding alcohol or drugs. I mean, you, you, you run up to the pornography trough thinking that, you know, it's going to deliver this time. This drink is going to deliver this time. And you get done and you want to spit it out because it never, never delivers what it promises to. And, and it's, a, it's a ripoff. And it, it's a lie and you know it. And it just wrecks your soul. How many of you are going to you know, keep feeding on the stuff that doesn't ultimately satisfy your soul? And when are you going to say, enough? This is crazy. And some of you are almost there. Some of you have finally gotten to that place and you've actually thought about turning around and heading for home but you're worried. You're worried that you're going to get a closed fist instead of open arms. You're worried that you're going to be shamed instead of embraced. You're worried that, that judgment is going to come instead of grace. And the Bible says in this story, Jesus says in this story, worry no more. I mean, that's why he told this story. Don't you see? This story is for you. It's for me. 
And he wants us to know exactly what you can expect from the Father. Because if we will just turn around and head for home, you will find the God of the universe, the Father of all fathers, waiting in a full-out stride, a run with an embrace, waiting for you. Now, there's one more thing that Jesus' listeners would have, would have expected to hear, okay, in this story. There, there was this well-known uh, ceremony that, was, that used to occur when any son would lose a significant portion of his inheritance that he received from the father and their family. So if, if a father died and left an estate to a son, and if that son had made some you know, foolish business deals or gambled uh, away cattle or land such that considerable amounts of the family estate were lost, okay, and put the family in jeopardy, get this, the whole village, when they found out about it, they, they would get these, uh, these large clay vases, and they'd fill them up with stones. And then they would, they would march out all together to the place where the son lived. And they'd call him out of the house. And then one by one, these people from the village, they would raise these, you know, these clay vases above their heads, and then they would smash them. Just smash them down in the front of, of the doorstep of the foolish son. In effect... Basically, they would be saying, hey, you broke trust. You broke trust with the father who gave you this inheritance, and you broke trust with your family that you should have been caring for with that inheritance, and in a way, you broke trust with the whole community. And so now we're breaking trust with you. And so get this, when the final vase was shattered, the whole a village basically would turn around, turn their backs to the sun, and they would walk away as a way to symbolize that now the sun has been completely cut off. Now, in that culture, that was a fate many times worse than death. And so think about it. This, this threat of uh, this shunning ordeal, it, it kept a lot of kids, a lot of sons from doing stupid things with the family inheritance. Now, back to Jesus' story. So the son returns to the father. The father has extended mercy to the wayward son, and they're walking back home together, right? Arm in arm, I mean, probably tears, again, just rolling down their cheeks. Now, right here, Jesus puts another plot twist in the story because his listeners, they would have all been expecting him to conclude the story with the shunning ceremony. I mean, everybody's going to come out of their homes, right, with the vases. They're going to walk up to the, to the son's house. They're going to smash him on the ground right in front of his home and turn their backs on him. But how does the story end? The dad does one more thing that a Middle Eastern dad would never do. He throws a party. He throws a party. I mean, the son's father sends out word, hey, everybody, no, no shunning ordeal here for my son. You know, put your faces away. I know what he did. I know he was foolish. I know he broke trust. I know he blew all of his money on wild living, but he's alive. 
He was dead, but now he's alive. And I've made amends with him. You don't gotta punish him for being an embarrassment to me because here's the deal. He's not an embarrassment to me. And so the father says to all these people in the village, hey, everybody, come on out to my place tomorrow. Hey, instead of smashing jars, we're going to be spilling wine. We're gonna drink wine. Instead of you know throwing stones and spilling stones all over my driveway, we're gonna fill our bellies with the meat of a fatted calf. We're gonna have a barbecue. Instead of cutting off relationship with my son, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna celebrate repentance and reconciliation because my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. We're throwing a party. And in ending the story like that, Jesus' listeners were certain to shake their head one final time and say, that is no ordinary Middle Eastern dad. Which again was precisely Jesus' point. Because the whole parable is designed to leave all of us shaking our heads saying, the Father in heaven, he's no ordinary father. He's the most extraordinary father we can imagine. And he's real, and he redefines mercy and love. Coastal, that's why we do what we do. That's why we build relationships like Jesus did. That's why we, we search for the lost. That's why we love people and serve people. That's why we, we never give up on anybody. That's why we wait patiently and prayerfully for, for the wayward to come home. Because we were one. We were. That's why we do anything short of sin to reach people. That's why we beat down the gates of hell and rescue people one life at a time. That's why we believe at Coastal, we don't just go to church. We what, Coastal? We are the church. We are the church and we're on a mission. The same mission that Jesus had to reach out to the wayward, to go on an all-out search. And that's why we celebrate and party when they come home. Listen, and that's what people can expect to find from God, and that's what they ought to expect to find from the church. Not judgment, not shame. An embrace. A welcome home. Don't you see? That's why Jesus came. That's why he told these stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. That's the heart of God. And it ought to be our heart. Do you see that today? Man, does it it move you to worship a God like that? And maybe, more importantly, does it move you to want to come home today? See, God's been gracious and loving. He allowed you to go to that place you find yourself. He's allowed it. But he's been watching and he's waiting. And you're not here by accident. He's been drawing you to himself. And you see, some of you have got in your head that you've got to clean your act up. First, by the way, Son didn't do that. 
He just headed home. He just took that one step. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, this is what our church is all about. This is the heart of our church. That's why we come back to the story all the time. Because it's a reminder that Jesus said, this is why I'm here. Don't miss this. And you see, if you'll just take that one step, that one step of faith, you know what you'll find? A loving heavenly father in full out stride toward you. He will make up the distance. He'll run the rest of the way. He's ready to embrace you and hug you. And so is this church. Come home. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, I thank you for your great mercy and grace. Father, I thank you for this reminder today that the very reason you sent Jesus into this world is so that we might be reminded of your extraordinary love. And Father, I know there are people here in this room who have hit rock bottom. They're in a distant country. They feel like they've been, for all practical purposes, living in the trash. And they're afraid. They're afraid it's too late. They're afraid if they come home or come to a church that they're going to find judgment and shame and a closed fist. But God, I pray today that they have been reminded that you and us, we are waiting patiently watching, hoping, praying, loving, serving, sharing, so that maybe, just maybe, somebody would take that, that one step, that, turn, that they would just turn around and head home. If you're, if you're that person, if you're ready to come home, do it today. It's a step of faith. Just in your heart right now, pour, pour out your heart to God and just admit the obvious. God, Today, I have, I have lived my life away from you. Today, I believe. I turn around. I repent. I, I take that step away from the life that I've been living, and I take it toward you. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he went to the cross as payment for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death. I believe he is alive and I ask him in faith here and now to forgive me of my sins, to be my Savior, and to be my Lord. And for the rest of my life, God, I just want to become more and more like you see me now, your adopted son, your adopted daughter, forever a part of your family. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love and for your grace. And God, today as a church, we want to do our part to share that good news with the world around us. We love you, and we pray this today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal, or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.